Okay. I even remembered how to, rec to record this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this uh, time together. Help us as we open your word to see and understand what uh, you would have us say and do in it. We praise and honor you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name. Okay, so we are in Jeremiah 3. Um, and uh, we're moving, clipping along here. We're in, in, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, but we're here. So let's read a little bit. Verse one, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? And you have played the whore in, with many lovers and would you return to me, declares the Lord. Um, okay, this is a kind of tough because it, it, it kind of says you can't repent. And it comes from this section in Deuteronomy. Uh, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes, be because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts, her, puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house, and she departs out of his house, goes and becomes another man's wife. The latter man hates her, writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house. Or if the latter man dies and took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving to you for an inheritance. Um, so there is this sense here that God is saying, it says in Deuteronomy, you know, uh, that if a woman, um, this sense of indecency is really kind of odd in, in, is, in Israel. It has uh, uh, multiple meanings and it was taken to mean many things, uh, some of which kind of ridiculous, like, uh, you know, she uh, didn't put her makeup on one morning. But uh, uh, but basically it's it's this uh, uh, being. Uh, being indecent, being sexually immoral, and says that if he, if he divorces her, she goes and marries someone else, but that doesn't work out for one reason or another, and she wants to come back, he cannot do it. And if this is going to be applied to Israel uh, at this point, it would seem to imply that um, they can't repent. God will not take them back. But we know that he does, and he has already said that many times that he will. And he and in uh, the whole point of Hosea is that this is exactly what is happening in Hosea, and God is actually telling Hosea to do it. So there's there's something more to this. It um, it basically is an idea of exclusivity. Um, and the idea is that that what God really wants is an exclusive relationship, all right? Um, and it, it's it, in fact He wants it exclusive. He wants it to start exclusive and stay exclusive and never change. Uh, so this is what God wants. Israel and Judah have not done this, but this is what He wants. All right, let's put on. Lift up your eyes to the bare heights. We're in verse two. And see, where have you not been ravished? By the wayside you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and the spring rain have not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me, my father? You are a friend of my youth. Will you be angry forever? Will you be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but what you have, but you have done all the evil you could. All right. So basically, what is the indictment here? The indictment here is that um, they've done everything possible to be uh, to be um, to sin and to go against God. And you know, God is, they're saying things like, basically, um, Israel is acting angry at God for no good reason. Basically, Israel is saying, uh, you know, you're my father, you'll take care of me, don't worry. 
and he's acting sort of angry at God, even though they have done all these terrible things. But God is saying, well, you know, I have every right to put you away forever. Um, uh, not that he will or he uh, he wants to, but he has every right to, because that's really the law. You have been, you know, don't don't be angry at me for something that you have brought upon himself is basically what is happening here. And basically, it's that sin has consequences and that if you continue in sin, that has consequences. So you don't be angry at God because of the consequences of your sin. Uh, I think that's the whole point of this uh, air this time. All right. Verse six. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah. Now, this is very early in uh, in Jeremiah's uh, um, uh, preaching ministry. Uh, it's probably about 40 or so years before the, the uh, destruction of the temple. Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and every green under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she did had done all that, she, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sisters, Judah, did not fear, but she went out and played the whore. And because she took to her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stones and trees. Yet for all of this, her treacherous sister, Judah, did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. Okay. So Judah and Israel, uh, Judah and, excuse me, yes, and Israel are, are seen as sisters of some of, of a sort. And they are, they're the children of Israel, but they're sort of two different groups so that they, um, they're sort of going in different directions. And Judah has witnessed what happens when you do not come back or do not uh, act according to God's will. And yet she continues. So, so this is part of the indictment God has given to, to uh, the, his people that, you know, he punished one of them. They're not learning from it. They're not seeing what happens. They're not seeing the results of their sin, what their sin will cause. Um, and they just don't, don't get it. They just don't get it. And the Lord said to me, faithless in Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. What, has, what does that mean? What is that? What is that talking about? Why is the two sisters... Okay. Okay. Why are the two sisters so different? And why is Israel less guilty? Less guilty. Why is Israel less guilty than Judah? Do you think he favors it more? I don't know. That doesn't make sense, does it? No. No, no I, it doesn't. He doesn't have any different favor. But why is Israel considered less guilty than Judah? Maybe because Judah sees what they're doing and sees the consequences and doesn't turn around. Right. They have an right. Judah has this object lesson of what Israel of Israel. Israel did all these things and got crushed for it. And now they're doing the exact same thing. They should know better. Israel had no has no object lesson. They don't exactly. know. They don't. They haven't seen what happens when you go astray. But what happened? What Judah has. Judah has yeah. seen what happened to Israel. So not only do they have the law and the prophets and everything else, but they have an object lesson. They have seen exactly what happens. So God considers them less guilty. Peter. Yes, ma'am. You know, I'm think I've been I was thinking before you even said all that, I was thinking to myself, you know, <clears throat> it's no wonder in some ways, although they were wrong, about how literal they thought they had to be. They had to they had to strive for perfection, some of them who were religious, you know, as it went on and on with even when G when Jesus came, you know. And you could see this whole background of either you were with him or you were against him. And if you were with him and God, in some ways, 
maybe you strived for perfection and then of course that couldn't be and so then finally jesus came okay uh yeah i think the idea of perfection uh is inherent in in the in the judaism because remember sin cannot be forgiven unless it was an accident or was not premeditated uh, so the idea of perfectionism is kind of inherent, uh, and it, but this is is more than that. I mean, this is this the saying that they are just going off in a different direction than God. It's much more than uh, uh, an idea of perfectionism. Yeah. Um, they're just going off in a different direction, and God understands that, and God is saying to them, you know, come back. This is a plea uh, to him. Uh, you know, in verse. Uh, in verse 11, and the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north, which is where Israel is. I will not, excuse me, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. Um, only acknowledge, I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city, one and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Right. So, first of all, he's asking to repent. And what is his promise? He will forgive them. Okay. And and what else in this promise? I'll bring you, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Okay. I will bring you back. I'm going to bring you all back. Those who choose to confess and say that they were wrong. Right. All of them. Notice it says, um, I will take you one from a city and two from a family and bring you back to Zion. The return for Israel is not everyone. It's he's taking people out, but leaving others behind. Yeah. He's taking one out from the city, leaving the rest of the city behind. And he's taking out, you know, two from a family and leaving the rest of the family behind. So this is not a complete return, even when they um, uh, even when they are uh, repentant. They, they're actually re are repentant. It's a partial return for Israel. And it is not a complete or total return. There's only going to be a certain number of people who will return. Uh, and I think part, a part of this is who repents and who is staying constant with God. Um, okay, so 15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Remind you of David. Yes. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they no more will say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It will not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it. To, to the presence of the Lord, presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north and into the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. All right, so this, he's promising two things here. One, a return, and two, a re- um, reunification of Israel and and uh, Judah, and he's he's talking about what the new Jerusalem will be. Hmm. What is not in the new Jerusalem? What's verse fifteen? The temple. The temple, right? Um, the temple will not be in the new Jerusalem. Uh, and where is that scene again? Where's what scene again? Where there is no. Uh, temple revelation somewhere isn't it yes in revelation right 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 it is in revelation uh that there will be uh 20. 
yeah, there's no temple in, Jeru in Jerusalem anymore. Why? Because no, Jesus is a temple. That's right. All right. God is in God is the old temple. Right. Right. That's right. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Um, there is this sense of um, of a remnant that will. Um, sorry, I'm getting lost in my own thing here. Sorry. Um, there is a sense of a remnant that will come back together. Israel is also a, a sense of, of, of a symbol of denial of God. All right. But when the new covenant becomes operative, the divine presence will overshadow Jerusalem and make the temple and the Ark of the Covenant uh, not necessary. Um, okay. But And that's God's vain hope that his people will come back. They will be reunited. There will be a time when uh, his people live in Jerusalem in peace and in worship and in not in not in this uh, odd adulterous relationship that they are in. Um, okay, verse nineteen. Wait, can I ask something here? Have we sure. just skipped? Have we just skipped from a current conversation with Israel and Judah to an end times prophecy? Is that what happened? Yep. What is happening is yes, that's correct. And that's not uncommon. It's it has to do with, uh, you know, we've talked about the uh, sense of the prophetic uh, present as a tense. There's also a sense of what is called pro prophetic perspective, mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of like this: if you're uh, half a mile from a forest, what you see is all the trees. You just see a wall of trees. But as you get closer and closer and closer, those trees almost seem to separate out into individual things so that you can see the spaces between the trees. The prophets are pretty far off, so they only see this, the forest. They don't see the trees. As we get closer to the time, the trees become into more focus. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Verse 19. I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all the nations. I thought you would call me father and would not turn from following me. Surely, as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. There's this hope in God, this thing that, you know, I made you, I made you my people. Why did I and I I thought that because I did that, you would be my you, you would worship me you would follow me alone you would not have these adulterous relationships with other gods you would you would see what i've given you this beautiful land this beautiful country uh, this the safety and prosperity and you would say i want to follow this god but you didn't you didn't you just went on your own way um a voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, 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 O faithless sons. I will heal your faithfulness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly, the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountain. Truly, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So God's hope is that people will see this and will understand. And, and this idea of bare heights, whether they're naturally bare or because of the pagan rites are done on these hilltops, is, 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 not, is not clear. It probably is both. This, this hope that we're on these hilltops searching for God and they're searching for God in these pagan rites. And God says, you know, you have to come back to me. This whole sense of come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And when you come back, I will be here. Uh, in other places, it says, turn to me and I will turn to you. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. Right. Thank you. I am waiting for you. Just come. Don't, don't get crazy. Yes. What date is this? About year. I'm sorry? What year is this? In this is early on. It's King Josiah, so it's around 605. It's, it's a good 40, 40 or so years before the destruction of the temple. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it says in uh, Proverbs, it says, I, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, um, that you may keep discretion. Sorry, I'm all over the place here. Okay. Uh, and your lips be a guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Uh, and now, and I'm skipping ahead. Now, O oh sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my, of my wisdom. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near her door, lest you give your honor to others. In all of scripture, there is this sense that immorality is just plain stupid. Because you're going against the understanding and wisdom that God gives. And immorality... And giving up God is just plain is this plain stupid. And God is saying, no, come back to me, listen to me. Don't listen to those who are saying that it doesn't matter who you worship. Okay. But from 24, but from our youth, your your our youth, the shameful thing has devoured all which our fathers labored, their flocks, their mm. herds, their sons, their daughters. Let us lie down not in our shame. And let our dishonor cover us. But we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, this is a, a, a kind of a mutual denial here. Uh, you know, they deny, they deny God. And God, in a sense, is denying them. And this is, you know, Jesus says the same thing. If you deny me, I will deny you. Well, it, it, it isn't any different here than it was, than it is in Jesus's day. There is a sense that if you deny God, he will deny you. If you step away from God, he will step away from you. But if you go to God and try to reach God, he will come to you. So there is this mutual understanding that God and, and, and man have this sort of dance as you get closer to him, he gets closer to you. As you as you go further away from him, he gets further from you. So there, this is not an uncommon uh, statement in in scripture. Uh, we um, have to understand that. Yeah, I'm um, thinking of the verse: "The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit." Yeah. yeah. Now, this whole thing reflects back in Isaiah 10. In that day, the remnant of Israel and survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For, those, for though your people be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is discreet, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of the earth. So a remnant is, is what God promises. He does not ever promise that everybody comes back. He does not ever, ever promise that yeah. everybody will be saved. He says there is a remnant. There is a remnant. There is always going to be a remnant. And I will keep this remnant and I will bring them back. No matter how many people there are, there's only a remnant that will return. Peter? Uh, Yes. The remnant, though, that they speak of in Revelations is a collection of people from all over the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not just Israel. It's not just, you know, just that. Well, it's the remnant as in Revelation is the remnant of the house of Israel, which is the northern and southern kingdoms that is brought back. Um, God just says he will always have a remnant of his people. Now, in Old Testament, that means Israel. You always have a remnant of Israel who are believers. That isn't always the case that, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody will believe. It's a remnant. And even, even in, the, in the church, there is a remnant that will believe no matter what happens. Let me kind of skip back a little bit. Um, it says... Um, Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. That word there is the word hesed. And hesed has a whole different a bunch of meanings in the, in the Old Testament. But basically, it's the covenant love. And it's the love of God. It's often... Um, it, it has, it's often uh, translated mercy... 
love, uh, kindness. In Psalm 145 here, it's, it's, it's translated, uh, and the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So it has a bunch of meanings, but it involves all that mercy, love, kindness. It is his covenant, is his covenant love for his people. It is this love that he has bestowed on his people through this covenant that he has made with them. And he will, the appeasement of God anger is repentance. Uh, and in verse 14, it talks about return all faithless for I am your master. Uh, I will take you one from a city, one from a city. It's this idea of knowledge and understanding. I will give you shepherds who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Uh, what's the difference between knowledge and understanding? Well, knowledge is the being aware of facts and understanding is the application of facts. Okay. Anyway, at, at a put, different level. All right. Well, we want to put that in different words. Um, maybe something that maybe from the New Testament. Yeah. What, what understanding is from the yeah well no i mean knowledge is head knowledge is learned right right knowledge is head i've learned something it's i know uh and application is the whole well yeah, i don't want to use the same word but it's using that knowledge for something it's the heart yeah it's the heart so this 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 idea that head knowledge is enough. What does James say about that? Uh, it's not enough. Well, you know, yeah, that's that. I mean, that I led you into that one, but what does he exactly say? Even Satan has this. Wow. Okay, even Satan has head knowledge. It is this that you have to have head knowledge, yes, you do, but you also have this heart knowledge, which is how you apply this knowledge those two go together and are that equal that is the christian life that makes you a christian okay that you have not not only the heart knowledge but the head knowledge as well so head knowledge. you should learn all about scripture you should study scripture you should meditate on scripture but unless you bring it into your heart and becomes part of you it doesn't do anything for you Okay. Um, so, so it doesn't do anything for you unless, unless it is in your heart. Uh, now, this whole thing about the temple, here's a picture of the temple. Uh, and this is what we're talking about in Revelation. And I saw no temple. No temple. Okay. In the city. For the temple is the Lord God. All right, and lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. Mm. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, um, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So this picture that uh, uh, Jeremiah is talking about in terms of the temple, in terms of in verse 15, and that that section is really about this time. Uh, what is a temple, by the way? I mean, what is a temple? What is a temple? Jesus is a temple. Well, yeah, but what is a temple? What is exactly what? Do you, what is a temple represent? Place of worship. A place of worship. Place okay. of meeting. Play, ah, well, 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 back up. What did you just say? Place of meetings. Okay, the temple is where God meets man, it's where his presence is. Uh, and there is a whole strand of, of theology and of imagery in the, in, the, uh, in, the old, in the Old Testament and in the New about the temple. Where's the first temple? In, old temp in the Old Testament, where's the first temple? In the Garden of Eden. Oh, somebody's been reading. Yes. No. <laughs> and it's not, by it's the way, it is not, by the way. It is not? 
No, no, it's not the Garden of Eden. Oh, the Garden. In the Garden. It's the Garden in Eden. The Garden in Eden. East of Eden. It says, no, it's in Eden. Now, the, uh, the picture is this, that you have this place called Eden, wherever it is. And in the middle of this place is a garden. Okay. And in that garden, that's where God walks in the cool of the day. And in that garden, there's a guy by the name of Adam who has to care for it. All right. And he has to, he has to manage it. He has to care for it. And he rules over it. So he is a priest and a king. And that's the picture that we're all trying to get back in, where man is the priest and king in that garden. And, and that garden is where God walks in the cool of the day with us. Now, Jesus fulfills that, and we fulfill it when we are in Jesus, because he, as the second Adam, is again the priest and the king in the garden, in the presence of God. Um, I think this is where theology splits somewhat because I, I'm, I'm not sure what you're saying, but I know that the way I, the way I know, there will not be a temple rebuilt. No. The people that will gather there, that is the temple with Jesus. No, there will not be a temple rebuilt. Why? Because he, he already is the temple. He is the temple. Because if the temple is the meeting place of God, meeting place, where do we meet the Father? We meet the Father in Jesus. Yep. yep. So he is the temple. Yep. If we, we say the temple is the place where God dwells and where we meet God, then Jesus is the temple. Sure. Okay? Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's... it's Jesus said he was. So. Yes. Yeah, he also said he was. You know, the whole idea is you'll tear down this temple in three days and I will rebuild it. Was speaking right. about himself, not about the, this thing, which is this yeah. is the second temple, not Herod's temple. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, the idea that Jesus is our temple, that Jesus is the place. But you know, it's more. It's, what does that mean when we say Jesus is the temple? It's a place where God meets man, mm. and they walk together and they can uh, communicate with one another. That's that's in Jesus. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Okay, so there is this theme that Israel will be reunified and will become one again, but it's only the remnant of, of Israel that will that will happen to, not the entire nation. Uh, the Bear Heights are the pagan rituals, but also the Bear Heights were places of mourning, even in non-pagan times. They were the places of mourning. You went to the, the top of the mountain, then you cried. So this combination of the pagan rituals and an area of mourning is another image of what God looks at in terms of these uh, pagan rituals. They're, they become, they should be mourning. You should be mourning over these pagan rituals. The mourning should come over the pagan rituals. And he will heal the land. Uh, he will bring the land uh, to uh, fruition uh, he will make the land uh, better uh, because he is the divine physician. There is a sense here that that there is you, you have a choice between friendship with God and enmity or hatred of God. There is no middle ground. It's not like, oh, I can be partially friendly, partially I don't care. No, there is either friendship or there's hatred. So either God, and, and that works both ways. God either says, I love you. Or depart from me. Uh, I hate you. Uh, depart from me. Uh, and there is nothing in the middle. There's no purgatory. Uh, there's no limbo. There's no anything. There is just this, I, you either love me or you hate me. He said he was a jealous God. Right. He is a jealous God. Yes. Now, jealousy is another thing. Is jealousy bad? What is jealousy? Well, usually it's evil, uh, you know, it's, it's sinful. But if you're jealous for a good reason, then I guess it's not bad. Which, What's a good reason? A good well, reason would be he wants to save you. And so he's he's after you, that one one sheep that's lost, you know, and that's a good thing. 
Well, I think human jealousy is wanting something that is not yours. But God's jealousy is wanting something that was made to worship and be in fellowship with him, which is humankind, individuals, men and women. So human, so God's jealousy is wanting what is his. Yes, I think Lynn has hit this in, in a sort of roundabout way. It's that what? someone takes what is rightfully yours. Yes. Okay, so if God is jealous if you take his glory. God is jealous if you take away his people. God is because they belong rightfully yeah. to him. Right. Uh, so he is jealous of that. That's what godly jealousy is, that uh, he is, it is rightful. Um, and the, the idea of friendship, you know, Jesus says this, that friendship with the world is hatred with God. Yep. Okay. All right. We are at 8.15. All right. We're at 8.15, my, my timekeeper tells me. Okay, chapter four. If you return, O Israel. So we're talking about the nature of repentance here right away. If you return, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear, as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall be, and they, in him shall they glory. Who's him? That be God? I, the Father? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the Father. And, yes. you know, it's, it's that the nations will bless themselves in God. Yep. But why will that happen? Why will they do that? You know, it's a conditional statement, right? If you swear, if you do that in then and then then nations, it's an if then. So that's a conditional statement. If if this regret is genuine, that's right. If the people repent and turn. And go back to God and swear not by whatever beam poles, but by God and who follow God, then the nations. Well, Steve said, Steve said, if it is genuine. Yes, if it is genuine, then the nations, not necessarily. Uh, uh, but if you don't, the opposite, if the people don't repent, then there will be no uh, uh, blessing of nations. Uh, and notice what they have to do. They have to return, right? They mm -hmm. have to return to God and they have to put away their, their idols, the detestable things, right? And only go to him. And if they, when they're talking about swearing by the Lord, meaning follow the Lord. Okay, it's follow. That means following. So they have to return to God and one of the big things is to get rid of these idols. Right. And they have to return in righteousness and in truth and in justice. Justice. Here we go with this. This is a theme uh, in, the, in the Old Testament that comes up over and over and over again. That God has a very special place for the poor. And God has the very special place for those who are underfoot. All right. Who did uh, Jesus go to? He went to the poor. He went to the socially unacceptable. Right. The sinners. Right. He went to those people who were outside the veil of normal society. Hmm. Now, there is a theme, in, 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 and we'll call it, for want of a better word, social justice. And God, is, this is very important to God. And for all the problems that we had in the early part of the 20th century in terms of the social gospel, they had it right 
in the sense that God really, really means what he says about social justice. The problem is that the, the pendulum from learning everything and having all the knowledge and having a very educated uh, church went from that all the way in the other direction for a church that's dedicated solely to social justice and not learning about God. It was as if you had this heart and head thing, right? You have the head and the heart. And we had been up to the 19th, early 20th century, really he heavy on this and it's not so much on that. And then all of a sudden we shifted to this, forgetting about this. And that's the problem with the social gospel and the problem with the liberal church is that they tended to do this rather than anything else. All right. Um, so that's, that's an important thing to understand that God really, really is into social justice. Uh, for thus says the Lord to the men of Israel, wait, verse wait. three, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. <laughs> Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your heart. Let my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. All right. What he is talking about now, Jeremiah is a watershed. Okay, because Jeremiah is in this place where people are coming out of this whole concept of corporate repentance and corporate love of God and corporate and corporate uh, nationhood versus this individual that we have in the New Testament. And the idea, if, if you look at Yom Kippur, okay, the Day of Atonement. It's not for your, it's not for Peter Lesneski's sin. It is for the people's. It's a corporate thing. Really? It's for the sins of the nation. And now we are shifting, and the circumcision, what is the circumcision all about? What is the, in the Old Testament, what is the circumcision? It is what? A mark right. of your incorporation into the people. It's you now belong to the people where now if you do the individual heart, each person is mm. now circumcised. Each person yep. has the mark of God putting him into the into the uh, into the people. So this is a whole different thing. The idea of the new idea that's coming here is not follow the law perfectly and you'll be fine, but have a changed heart. The external is important, but the internal is is as is more important, or as important. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That the internal is now more important. Well, you wouldn't be able to have a relationship without that. Well, they would say, "Well, we have a relationship because we are in this corporate body." And the problem is, they saying that this being in this corporate body is saving me. Hmm. It's like saying, I go to church every Sunday, so I'm saved. Right. All right. I've learned all there is to know about the Bible. Therefore, I am saved versus this. Yeah. This individual heart, this change of attitude, not, you know, the church. Yes, the church is an important thing, but it is my individual heart that's that, that, where it is a seat of my salvation. Okay. And that changed heart is important. All right. Romans says circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. A man who is not circumcised keeps the requirements of the law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? The one who is physically uncircumcised yet keeps the law will condemn you, even though you have the written code and the circumcision, you as a lawbreaker. Um, Man is not a Jew because he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision only outward and physical. A man is a Jew because he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by written code. Such a man's praise does not come from men, but from God. Paul is understanding that it is not the external exclusively, that the external is coming from the internal, and that the internal is the important thing. So even if this person doesn't have the external signs, but keeps, keeps the law, he is in essence circumcised. He, he has the external signs because they are actually in his heart, not necessarily in his body. 
right? Does that, does that make sense? I mean, it's yes. the internal that's the important thing. That's correct. Okay. The predator will come. Okay, where are we? Disaster from the north, verse five. Blow the trumpet, which is a you know, warning, through the land, cry aloud, assemble and let us go into our 40 fortified cities. Raise a standard towards Zion, flee for safety, not stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be in ruins without inhabitants. This is actually a very rare animal. This is an Asiatic lion. And they were very, and they were endemic to Israel at some time. And now they only live in India, but they were throughout Southwest Asia. They're only in India. So mm. this is a, this is a, this is the thing he's talking about, this predator. This is the thing that David killed. Uh, they're about to, they're a little bit smaller than African lions, but they're just as nasty. Um, and for this, for this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. In that day, declares the Lord, courage shall fail, king and officials. The priests will be appalled, the prophets in astounded. Then I said, oh, ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying it will be well with you, whereas the sword has reached their very life. At that time, it will be said to the people in Jerusalem, a hot wind from the bare house in the desert towards the daughter of my people, not to win or cleanse, a wind too full for this comes for me. For now, I, it is I who speak in judgment. And we're talking about judgment upon Israel. He comes like the clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. Mm. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to, hit to us, mm. we are ruined. Now there's wind, and in the Middle East there's a lot of wind, uh, and they use it. Anybody know what winnowing is? Winnowing. Winnowing. Oh, winnowing. Mm. I know what that word is. We're not an agricultural mm -hmm. society, so we don't have a good idea of it. I'm taking the shape from the. All right. When you when you um, have wheat. You has anybody ever seen wheat growing? No, no. <laughs> seed. It's a grass. It has, it has it's a seed. It has a pod on it, which you bang on the ground and sort of break. You you kind of break it off. You break the pod off the seed. But now you have to separate it. And winnowing is basically you take a basket of this stuff and you throw it up in the air. Okay. You just throw it straight up and the wind comes and blows away the light husk and the seeds, which is what you eat, fall to the ground. That's winnowing. Hmm. Okay? Uh, it's an idea of separation. But here he goes. This, this wind is not for winnowing because he's talking about a thing called a Sirocco. And a Sirocco is, well, this is a picture of a Sirocco. Thanks. Okay, this is an Israeli city down here, and this is a Sirocco. Sirocco's are what the San Andreas winds are in, in California. They're 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and they, they come in from the north and from the east where there's a lot of sand and deserts, and they have these huge dust storms, and that's what he's talking about here. This is the way God will appear, not, not like a lamb, but like this as a lion and like this as, as, a, as a terrible, terrible wind. Um, for a voice declares from Dan, oh, excuse me, it's 14. Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you might be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? A voice from Dan dec uh, declares from Dan and proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim. That's the north. And that's where... Uh, uh, there is this um, where all evil comes, basically. Like, like keepers of a field, are they against her all around because she has rebelled against me? Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. It is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Um, so there's this kind of return. I know. Kind of return to primal chaos. And what's happening in the cosmos is happening on Earth as well. Uh, these attempts, mm -hmm. my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. 
on all the walls of my heart. My heart is being wily. I can't keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. This is Jeremiah speaking. Crash follows hard on crash. I'm sorry, we're in verse 20. Verse 20. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste, and my tents are laid waste. My curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sounds of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. Foolish. Um, what is, in, in Proverbs, what is a fool? Without knowledge. All right. Well, first of all, they're stupid. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But in Proverbs, it's consistent that a fool is someone who's morally immature, who's morally is morally evil and it especially has a sexual overtone to it i looked on the earth and behold it was without form and void where's that sound like mm. right, this is genesis. Just, yeah that's from genesis and it's returned to this primal chaos mm. without form and void i looked to the mountains they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro and behold there was no man all the birds of the air had fled I look, the fruitful land was a desert, its city in ruins before the Lord because of his fierce anger. Hmm. The earth shall mourn, the heavens will be dark. I, for I have spoken, I have purposed, I will not relent, I will not turn back. At the noise of the horseman and the archer, every city takes to flight. They enter thickets, they climb among rocks. Um, and if you know anything about Israeli history, where do they go when the Romans came? Masada, which is in the middle of the rocks. That was the place of refuge. All right. Um, and all their cities are forsaken. No man dwells in them. And you, O desolate one, what does it mean that you dress in scarlet, that you adorn yourselves with ornaments of gold, and you enlarge your eyes with paint? In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. I have heard of a cry of a woman in labor anguished as one giving birth to her firstborn, the cry for the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands, woe is me, I am, I am uh, fainting before my, my, uh, my enemies, my murderers. God has this moral necessity for judgment. He would not be consistent to himself if he does not judge. And there's a sense of behavior versus truth. Um, so there is this whole idea of uh, there's the delusion and, and, and there's a, a problem of, of who, what is happening? What do you do? Why are this happening? Because God, why is God being so mean? He's not being mean. He's being consistent. And if he does not judge, he is inconsistent in and of himself. All right, we will end there, pick up in chapter five. Um, and I'm sorry I jumped around a little bit today, but that's kind of what happens in Jeremiah to a great extent. But we will pick up in chapter five uh, and uh, go on from there. Uh, okay, so there's herald of this. We end with a herald of destruction, yep. and quite honestly, it doesn't get much much more happy than this. So we will go on with this. So let's end. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your goodness. We ask your blessings. Bless us. Help us to take your word to heart. Give us strength and peace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Blessings. Amen. We'll see you on uh, Saturday. 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 Well, ladies on Saturday. Gentlemen on Sunday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen. On Saturday. Yes, that's true. Thank you, Peter.